Great to be back with you and have the opportunity to share from, from God's word. I've, I've been granted a tremendous privilege, and, and that is I was asked to speak to you from Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, which is got to be one of the best known, most quoted, famous uh, texts in all of scripture, most, uh, certainly one of the most central expressions of our Christian faith. Uh, the so-called golden rule. But, as he often does, Pastor Wes uh, threw me a little bit of a curveball, which I love. He, said, he didn't just say Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. He said Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14, which is kind of interesting because we're not just looking at the golden rule. We're looking at the golden rule in context, the context of the Sermon on the Mount, the context of, of what follows after uh, about uh, narrowness and hardness and life and destruction and all kinds of interesting things. So I, I think this is great because one of the, the best sort of interpretive principles when you're reading scripture is to keep reading. <laughs> like you read the text, but then you don't just stop. You, you know, that sometimes people will take a text and they will isolate it Right? And they'll just, they'll just read it outside of its context, and you can really mess things up that way. You can really get a lot of uh, bad interpretations going. But if you keep reading, if you, if you focus the text in its context, you're going to learn a lot more, and a lot more profoundly. So we're going to look at verse 12 through 14 of Matthew chapter 7, as is our practice here. If you want to stand as we read this, that'd be amazing. Verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. All right, let's pray together, because I think, I think we're going to need the Lord's help as we try to understand all of this. Uh, Lord, speak to us, we pray. This is, these are familiar words to us. We've heard this before, those of us who've been around church for a while. And yet even now, even for me, I've, I've been reading this for weeks, and, and, and it still kind of jars. It still kind of shocks a little bit. And, and so we pray that you would, you would really make yourself present to us by your Spirit, and you would speak to us, not just so that we understand, but so that we are transformed for the sake of your glory, the sake of your kingdom, and for the sake of all those others around us that we would wish to bless. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I like to go to um, sporting events, stadium games. If you've, if, if you've been to a stadium game recently, let's say like a BC Lions game at, uh, at BC Place, or if you're thinking you might do that at some time soon, don't be surprised if they ask you to flex your muscles for the camera. I mean, the flex cam has become a thing. And this is where, where the camera pans across the stadium, across the fans, looking for people. It's usually kids or 
young people have had maybe a little too much to drink, who, who stand up and they flex their muscles to show their power to the crowd, and everybody cheers, and it's kind of fun. It's a little bit of harmless silliness, I think. Uh, but flexing seems to have found a moment in our culture right now. Uh, it's common in hip-hop music, for example, to talk about your flex, you know, which means that you're trying to display your power in a way that gives you an advantage. According to the Urban Dictionary, to flex means to display your valuables in a decidedly non-humble way. You know, you're flexing. It's your flex. Well, Jesus... I'm going to suggest to you, it's kind of flexing for us here today, but in a different way, maybe in a way that's more appropriate to the original intention of the word. To flex means to like reverse, right, or to, to turn. And, and so in that spirit, I think we might read this text and recognize the Jesus flex. A little phrase I've coined for you here this morning. <laughs> the Jesus flex. And what is that all about? Well, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been studying over these last several weeks, you see all kinds of flexing going on. Not the, the hip-hop version, but the Jesus version. This is where, where things are reversed against its original intention. You know, where the first become last. Where the wealthy are shown to be the ones who are actually, or sorry, the poor are the ones who are shown to be actually wealthy. Where the least become the greatest. The Jesus flex is where you turn the other cheek and Allow yourself to get slapped on both sides of the face. <laughs> Where you uh, run an extra mile when one mile would have been plenty in most uh, people's estimation. Where you go to pray, but you do it in the closet where nobody else is going to notice and nobody else is going to see. And where we find that these counterintuitive ways of being turn out to be the ways of the kingdom. I, I, a common flex, you might say, in the business world is known as the red ocean, blue ocean strategy. You may have heard of this. Uh, some researchers, W. Chan Kim and Rene Berg... I can't say it. It's a French name. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, these two guys, using the metaphor of the fishing ground in the ocean, kind of pick up this, this concept of counterintuitive ways of being in order to... Uh, achieve the result that you're actually looking for. And it's kind of similar in some respects to what Jesus is saying about the few and the many. They're saying that, that you know, everybody's fishing the red ocean, right? Like all the businesses, all the people. This is the easy, this, this is the stuff close to the shore where it doesn't cost that much to go out. And, uh, you know, everybody's there in, in, in the red ocean. And you've got, it, it, it's, it's relatively easy to fish the red ocean. The problem is, everybody's in the red ocean. There's lots of people. It, 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 it's a, the crowd is full of, we could say, the many. But the secret, they say, is if you really want to have success in business terms, uh, you got to get out into the blue ocean, which is riskier and harder. And uh, there's more at stake, perhaps, but there's fewer people. <laughs> there's a lot less competition out there in the blue ocean. So it's, it's like this counterintuitive thing that's kind of similar to the way that Jesus operates, the way Jesus flexes here in this passage. The Jesus flex, I want to tell you, is golden. It's golden. That's an ex another expression we use, right? Like everybody wants to be golden, 
right? Like when things are really going well, when you've got it rolling, like things are happening for you, what do we say? Ah, you're golden. <laughs> well, this is the, the golden rule here, we say. Uh, and the Jesus flex is, is golden. And you see this in multiple ways here in this passage as we read from verses 12 through 14. Probably at least five of them. We've got the them for the you, uh, the, the few for the many, the narrow for the wide, the uh, hard for the easy, and the life for destruction. So there you go, five points to this little presentation. We'll talk about them briefly. The, the first, and I might say the most fundamental flex that Jesus is offering us here, this reversal of expectation, uh, is about the them instead of the you, or I might say the me. So, so this is where we reverse our attention from those things that would benefit ourselves and place the emphasis on other people. And this is the essence of the rule in verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, in other words, where the focus is on me, you meaning like us, uh, instead, uh, we are to do that which we would wish uh, to them to the others, to, to, like in my case, for you guys. In your case, you might do it for me, right? It's this shift of attention from this focus on myself to this focus on others. And that doesn't seem to make sense, you know, on the surface of things, because we're kind of taught that if we really want to get anywhere in the world, that we got to take care of our own business, right? Like, we got to do what's going to work for us. Nobody else is going to care, right? Like, nobody, if, if, I, if I want to do well in the world, I got to get out there and take care of my business for myself, right? Because who else is going to do it? <laughs> it's, I got to deal with me and my family and my business and my interests. I got to do for me. But Jesus is flexing that. He's reversing it. He's turning it around and saying, no, it's, it's actually the opposite of that. We got to live our lives in service of the others. I, I was thinking this is kind of like a, a self-reflexive thing, self-reflection, <laughs> if I can coin another for the, the, the idea is you look at yourself and you see, what would I want to have happen to me in the world? And then you take that that, that personal sense of desire, almost a selfish reflection, right? Like, like, it's like, what do I want in the world? Like, what do I need to flourish? What, 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 what do I need? But then instead of, like, driving for that, you take the result of, the, you know, the answer to that question, and you make it so for everybody else, right? So, so that selfish desire flexes into benevolent action. You take what you want, and you make it possible for everybody else. That's the Jesus flex. Right? The, the them instead of the you. Right? Uh, but then, then you could look at other things, like the, uh, the few for the many. The few for the many. You see that in verses 12 through 14. Uh, the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few, right? So the few seems to be elevated here instead of the many, which is confusing to us, right? Because we tend to believe that results, success, flourishing, if you like, is achieved by gathering a crowd, 
getting a lot of influence, you know, a lot of likes on Facebook, a lot of uh, followers on Twitter and Instagram. You know, the many, that's what indicates that we're really happening, right? Like we've really got it going on if we can attract the crowd, right? Like if we could double the, the number of people here in this church, now God is really blessing us, right? You know, that's kind of how we think. If I can, uh, you know, have more people buy my product, more people follow my posts, more people respond to me. If I, if I can get a following, get a, gather a crowd, that's awesome. Well, <laughs> it's, it seems to be counterintuitive to what Jesus is saying here. He, he's, he's saying, you know, if you're, if you're faithful, if you're doing for others, it's not necessarily going to result in a whole lot of people following you which is kind of weird because sometimes we get this idea that if we could follow something like the golden rule, if we do for others, what's that going to do? It's going to come back on us as blessing because we're going to, people are going to like us better because we're doing nice things for them and we're going to get this big crowd of people, right? We also have this idea that, that, you know, that's just the natural result of being healthy, right? Healthy things grow. You may have heard that. I've actually said that many times and it's true, right? Like, like if things are healthy, they're, they're going to grow, but there's limits to that growth, perhaps, right? Like I, I saw an article um, earlier, a couple weeks ago, about a woman, a young woman in uh, uh, Eastern Europe somewhere, who was growing just like way too much. You know, had grown to, she, she was about 24 years old, and grown to about seven foot seven. And it was actually a problem, right? Like it was the result of disease. Like, like you can grow to the level of abnormality. We sort of have this idea, whether it be in church or business or life, that you just keep growing. You just keep growing and growing and growing. And, gr and then we're surprised when we get so big and we discover all of these abnormalities, all of these broken examples of mess and brokenness. And, and like, like sometimes the many is, is a, a gathering the crowd might be covering things or, or even proving things that aren't so healthy. You know what I'm trying to say? Um, we, we think that we are proving our faithfulness to God because we've got a lot of people. Might not be the case, actually. I was thinking about that from Jesus' perspective, this Sermon on the Mount. We don't know how many people were there. There's lots of examples in Scripture where, where Jesus speaks on a mountainside and, and lots and lots of people show up. But then, you know, at the end of the story, you know, when Jesus died, even when he um, was brought back to life and, and ascended to heaven, there weren't a whole lot of people around. You know, when, when he was on the cross, I think there were like five people there crying at his feet. <laughs> like, where, what happened to the crowd? What happened to the many? I mean, there, Jesus said, those who follow are going to be few. So that's hard, right? The, the narrow for the wide. I mean, the wide is easy, right? The path of least resistance. It's, it's, it's where you naturally go, where, where just the, it's, the easy, it's the easy way, right? Narrowness, that's hard. <laughs> I mean, a, s a simple little example. We were uh, driving the other night and uh, took an exit onto uh, one of the, the access points to the Georgia Viaduct. And about half of that lane had been taken for bikes, which is awesome. I love bike lanes. But it left just, like, I'm looking at this. Like, this is too narrow for my car, I'm just feeling like. Like, it made me nervous. It made me, you know, I, had, I drove more slowly than I wanted to drive because the path was narrow, right? Narrowness 
is hard. Now, sometimes we take pride in narrowness or in fewness, right? Like we say, well, look at us. We must be faithful because there's only so many people here today. Well, you know, that's a problem too, right? <laughs> I think the thing that to notice here, Jesus isn't speaking prescriptively. He's speaking descriptively. He's not saying, this is your prescription. This is what I want you to do. I want you to aim for less people. Jesus is not saying, I want you to like target less influence, fewer people, fewer followers. You know, if we could cut this congregation in half, then we'd be twice as faithful. You know, that's not what he's saying. I mean, in fact, throughout scripture, there's a call to go out, to preach the gospel, to reach out to everyone, to the harvest is, is ready for it. They get out there, do your thing, gather people, be faithful. But he's speaking descriptively when he says you know the fact is when we're faithful we shouldn't be surprised if the way is hard if the respondents are few if if the uh the road is narrow right don't be shocked by that the hard for the easy we like easy i love easy I so, so, so love easy. <laughs> Are you with me? Like, easy is awesome. <laughs> hard. I mean, who likes hard? Like, who chooses hard? Well, actually, we do sometimes. Like, like uh, people who build muscles, right? Pe those people who are happy to flex for you. I mean, they understand the power of resistance training. Like, like you push a heavy weight in order to break down the muscle in order to make it stronger. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I even do that a little bit, not to any great effect. <laughs> but, you know, I'll push weight sometimes and uh, it's supposed to have an, an impact. And occasionally I feel like I might be a little bit stronger, but, but you, you push yourself through the pain in order to grow. And so we sort of understand that in principle. We just don't like it very much. And uh, we're more likely to follow the path of least resistance. But, you know, I think, well, I think about that sometimes from the perspective of, of us as Christians and churches, and evangelicals and in the world and all that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I hear a lot of complaining, even in church, when it's hard. You know, when, when people don't show the respect to us that, that we think we ought to have, when, you know, God, I don't know, governments or, or people in general just kind of, like reject us, we, we don't like that, and we start complaining, and we start maybe thinking something's wrong with the world, so we push back, we fight against it, we, we raise a stink because we're not getting treated the way we think we ought to be treated. Jesus says, come on, come on, like, I never promised you anything else. Like, like <laughs> when did you get the idea this was gonna be easy? You know, it's hard, it's actually hard, narrow, but it leads to life. And that's the cool thing in the whole text. You got this narrowness, hardness, uh, you know, you, themness, all these things. But at the end, he says, the, the way is wide and easy that leads to life, right? I got you there. <laughs> the way is easy and wide that leads to destruction, and the way is hard and narrow 
that leads to life. Well, we want life. Everybody wants life. I mean, that's why, we, we, but we have this sense that it easy equates to life, and it actually doesn't. The easy way, the red ocean, the, the way of the many, is going to ultimately lead us to destruction. The other way, the hard way, the counterintuitive way, fishing that blue ocean, getting out there where it doesn't always feel so safe, getting out there where, where <laughs> the followers might not be quite so many, the people that get you, the people who value what you're offering might not be so many, might be few. That's the way. That's the way that leads to life, according to Jesus. That's the Jesus flex. And it's golden. It's golden. You know, Jesus is calling us to embrace the hard thing, to do for others as we would have them do unto us. You know, he's not even saying, you notice this, he's not even saying, just don't do the things that you wouldn't want done to you. People call that the silver rule. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's not a bad place to start. Just don't do the stuff, don't do, be nasty to other people. Like, like, don't do the stuff that you wouldn't want done to you. That's good. But Jesus goes so much further. Jesus is saying, he's turning this to an active expression, through a, to a positive expression. Do, like do the good thing. For, don't just, don't do the bad thing. You know, do the good thing that you would have done to you for everybody else. That's awesome. And Jesus, you know, like, like a lot of people don't like Jesus, but Jesus gets a lot of respect for this, right? Like in the world, the golden rule, because it seems nice, right? <laughs> seems pretty nice. Like, 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 yeah, be a good person. Like, do good things for other people. That's Jesus. That's awesome. People like Jesus for that. But, but they don't always really appreciate what it costs, right? And what it costs Jesus. Because the ultimate expression of this, you know, the ultimate expression of this golden rule was Jesus' death. Where he took himself to the cross and he allowed himself to be killed. That's a, that's a narrow path. That's a hard way. There aren't many following that path. Jesus was willing to die in order to provide for our forgiveness, our future, our security, our salvation. And we're called to the same kind of thing, right? It says here, this is so interesting to me, whatever you wish that others do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is a summary. This is shorthand for all of that stuff. You know, like pages of all that stuff. The law of the prophets. Call it the Old Testament, the First Testament. All that law. Remember in chapter 5 of Jesus' sermon, right at the beginning of the sermon, he said, he said, I didn't come to get rid of the law. Like sometimes we think that as New Testament Christians, right? That we're not people about law, we're people about grace. Jesus said, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to take it to another level. And this is what the law is all about. The Ten Commandments, all that stuff about not stealing and not coveting other people's stuff and, and uh, not killing and not you know, being truthful and 
honoring God and loving him and being respectful to God. Like all of that, all of that is summarized in this shorthand expression that we would no longer live for ourselves first, but that we would live for others. Because that's exactly what God has done for us in the person of his son, Jesus. And that's what he calls us to do. So here we are, right? Like, I'm just let loose a lot of words in your presence. And I probably didn't actually need to because it's pretty straightforward. Like, like you understand what he's saying, right? You understand what Jesus is calling us to. This is, this is weird in some respects, given our culture and the way we tend to think about the world, but it's not hard to understand. You get it. Do unto others as you would wish that they'd be done to you. It's going to be hard. It's going to be narrow. There aren't going to be many, but do it. Do it for others. So here we are in the presence of God. We've been worshiping him. We've been telling him how we love him and how we appreciate what he's done for us. We're, standing, we're sitting here present to him in this place. And we recognize our accountability to this truth. We recognize, Lord, that we we have to respond to you in this. And and we need to ask your forgiveness, Lord, because, because so often, so much of what we do and are is about ourselves. About managing our own stuff, about feathering our own nest, about Pursuing what will be good for me, for us, for my family, my business, my life, my, my thing. Lord, have mercy on us. Forgive us. Forgive us. and Give us strength. Give us the confidence what you've done for us to such a degree that we would be willing to take this seriously and take all those things that we wanted for ourselves and just just offer them to others. Lord, be that, do that in us. So what does that look like? I, I, it's an interesting process. I, I, I did a little inventory of my own heart and life <laughs> this week, trying to ask myself, what would it actually look like? Like what, that, that thing, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them, or do for them. Okay, so what is it that I would wish be done for me? Right? What is it? What would I want? Well, lots of things. <laughs> lots of things. I, I'd, I'd wish to be listened to. So thanks for that right now, by the way. <laughs> I'd, I'd wish to be respected. I'd wish to be, like, not just listened to, but heard. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, 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 want, I want that people would, like, see me, right? And, and understand me and appreciate me. Like, I wish that people would hear what I say, and watch what I do and assume the very best version of all of that. You know, instead of assuming the worst possible construence of that. 
when they hear me say something or watch me do something, that they would just assume that I mean well by it. That'd be awesome. I wish that people would bring me joy instead of bitterness. That they'd be patient with me instead of angry with me and arrogant to one. It's a long list, right? <laughs> a lot of things that I want from other people. Here's the deal. All those things, that whole entire list, Jesus calls me to be that for you and to do that for others. Not to worry about whether I'm getting that myself, but take all that and be it for you. Like I say, it's a long list. We know it when we see it, right? And we know it when we do it. You know how? Because it registers as pain. Because it registers as loss. Feels like for me to do for you is going to cost me. It's going to cost me my time. might cost me some money. It's going to cost me some emotional energy, most likely. Like I'm going to have to pay out of my reserves in order to be awesome for you. That's how I'll know. Because I'm feeling the burn. Will I do it anyway? <laughs> you know, sometimes I've had the opportunity and privilege to work with people in preparation for marriage. And uh, I was thinking this morning, it's not just about marriage, it's about all kinds of relationships, like friendships, uh, you know, business partnerships, all kinds of things. But like, I think like a metaphor, imagine this table without the stuff on it. And this is like the table of relationship. <laughs> and, you know, we want that table to be full of good stuff, right? Because when I come into a relationship or a partnership or a marriage or something like that, the, the idea is I got needs and I can come to this table and, and get what I need, right? So I'm coming to this, this marriage, this business partnership, with the idea that this is going to provide stuff for me that I'm having trouble delivering for myself, right? So I'm coming to this thing, and, and I'm going to get all this benefit out of this relationship. Does that sound familiar? And the trick is, well, the problem is, before I mention the trick, the problem is, if that's the way both parties or all parties are coming to that table, the table gets empty real fast because all that's happening is taking. Right? Table empties out, there's nothing there. But if we come to that relationship with the idea of what we can bring to it, what we can offer into it, what we can put on the table, pretty soon that table is piled high with blessing. You know, when everybody's doing that. Like when we're all coming for what we can offer instead of looking for what we can take. That's the Jesus flex. And it's golden. <laughs> I've never been very proud of my flex. <laughs> you know, when you're kids, feel my muscle. <laughs> I, was, I never did that. Because... <laughs> My grandson did it to me one time. Feel my muscle, Grandpa. I, I, I never really did that because I was never very proud of my muscle. <laughs> Still not. I've never been that confident in my sense of personal power. 
but perhaps I need to remember what Jesus said about how when we are at our weakest, he's at his strongest. We might be few, but we're never without hope. The way may be hard, but we will never be destroyed. We we might seem poor, but we will always have everything we need. As our God is strong in us and for us and through us by his grace, because of his strength, we have everything we need and we always will, which means we can be generous, we can be gracious, we're free to give to others everything that we might wish for ourselves. And we know in the spirit of God's kingdom that as we live this way on earth, remember, on earth as it is in heaven. This is the way of heaven, right? That's what this whole Sermon on the Mount is about, teaching us the way of heaven as we live here in advance on earth. We experience a little bit of heaven here on earth as we live out our faithfully the principles that Jesus teaches us. As we do for others, we learn the ways of heaven. And God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Lord, help us with this. Lord, we've said it off the top. This is really hard stuff. It's counterintuitive. It feels like it's just running opposite to the flex that we're seeing in the world. People displaying their power. People trying to overcome by being arrogant as if that that's the way to, uh, to win in the world. That's hard for us, Lord, because I mean, most, most of the time we, we know it's a sham. We know that our flexing is just a, a bluff. It's just, it's not real, Lord, because we know how weak we are. But we recognize, Lord, that we are strong by your grace. Your strength made perfect in our weakness. And given that that's the case, Lord, help us to so appreciate that truth that we can then offer what is needed to everyone else. Lord, help us to take our selfish desire and be flexible enough in our heart that we might return that exact same thing to everybody else who comes our way. Our spouses, our children, our parents, our friends, our uh, colleagues and partners and associates, uh, our neighbors, the strangers, the poor, the less attractive, the, the ones for whom this is hard. Lord, we, we recognize there's cost involved in this. This costs you your very life. May we be willing to pay the same price, knowing that in the end, you will be glorified, your kingdom will come, and it will be glorious, and it will last forever. Again, Lord, we we understand this truth. It's pretty straightforward, but it's so, it's just hard. It's just really hard for us, Lord. So be strong in us, Lord, even in our attempt to be faithful to what you've called us to here this morning. And as we do, we trust this place will flourish 
in all the ways, all the ways that are appropriate and healthy. In Jesus' name, amen.